0: This is Dr. Karen on The Voice of Leadership, and my guest today is Rabbi Daniel A. Roberts, who since 1972 until recently led Temple Emmanuel in Orange Village, Ohio, a congregation of 750 families, 11 staff, and numerous part-time teachers. Rabbi Roberts has also created several community organizations to include the Comfort Source, a Grief Resource Center, and Sharing How to Stay Married. He is the author of several publications, including The Suicide Funeral or Memorial Service, Honoring Their Memory, Comforting Their Mourners, and Clergy Retirement, Every Ending a Beginning. Educated at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he holds a Doctor of Ministries degree and from Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, Ohio, also a doctor of divinity, ordination, and master of Hebrew letters. Rabbi Roberts is also a certified fellow in thanatology, the study of death and dying, a graduate of the Pastoral Institute of Cleveland for his counseling skills, and a certified counselor of Prepare, Enrich, a premarital inventory. Rabbi Roberts now makes his home in Denver, Colorado, where he still leads services, teaches Torah studies, and Jewish and Christian Studies. He was twice voted Cleveland's funniest rabbi and is now creating a comedy act called Laughter with a Rabbi. Rabbi Daniel Roberts, welcome to The Voice of Leadership, and thanks for being my guest today.
1: Dr. Karen, my great pleasure to be with you.
0: Thank you so much. Well, we've got lots of questions for you today, and so, Rabbi, I want to start with a basic question, which is, what prompted you to become a rabbi, and what was your journey to this life path?
1: Well, um, I like to say what started me was I was walking on a mountain one day, and there was this bush that was burning. And uh, but that's not the true story.
0: Well, <laughs> anyway. that story's already been taken, hasn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it has. Uh, the true story is I got it, my dad died when I was ten years old. And that had a tremendous effect upon my life because if I think back, if he hadn't died, I never would have been on this journey of the rabbinate. And uh, the journey really was my mother pushed me to go to religious school and she encouraged me to be involved in the youth group at our temple. And I went to a, um, a summer leadership camp. Loved it and wanted to go back the next year, but things were not lining up for me. And then all of a sudden, they came along and said to me, uh, would you like to be the chair of the religious committee? And there's a scholarship that went with it. And going to camp, working with rabbis and cantors who were at camp and in that atmosphere was the beginning of my decision to be a rabbi. And then making the long story short or short story long— I went to Hebrew Union College in the University of Cincinnati, and when I graduated the university, I went to Israel for a year, and that really made up my mind. Walking in the, the path of other uh, leaders of history, just being there, Israel oozes spirituality. So it's a long answer to your quick question.
0: Well, you know, that's quite interesting because one of the aspects that you're indicating is that it's actually the relationships that we have with people and what we see in them that can be inspiring. And also certain places can also inspire us to our own journey.
1: Let me just stop you for one second, because I think in that journey, it's what others impact upon you is. So if we take that to leadership, the question is, what could my impact be upon other people to mentor them to be the best of what they are or to find their journey in life as part of that mentoring?
0: Well, before we get there, I had a question about your experience, because you indicated that it was the rabbis and cantors that you met at that camp experience, just in a word or two. What did you see in them that inspired you as a young person back then?
1: I think it was, A, their role modeling, uh, their being there and giving up their time because they weren't being paid, and uh, in addition to that, their, their encouragement and, and how they handled themselves. It was more of the, rather than their public persona, it was more of the personal persona that's engaging with a, another person.
0: Okay, so in essence, we're really talking about a person being a whole person, not just who they are, if you will, just in the the work context. And it sounds like you're also thinking about for yourself, how do you pay this forward in terms of being a role model or mentor for others? So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, I'm very proud to say that I have seven or eight of my students who have become rabbis that I know of. And then there are other students that I had who became leaders in their congregations or in their community, which I'll never know all that effect. But I try to model myself to be a role model to others, but also an inspiration to them that they might choose to be a rabbi, which I have found to be a very meaningful role in life. And I can't encourage you know others to look at that role. What I am finding is how many are now choosing second careers in the clergy. That's what is amazing to me.
0: So it sounds like you obviously have had an impact on others very similar to the way mentors in your life had an impact on you at that early age. Because to have that many people also choose this career path really means that you're doing something that is inspiring others. So let me ask about this. In all leadership areas, there are a lot of similarities in terms of what it takes to be a good leader. Nevertheless, I would say the clergy do face some unique leadership challenges in comparison, let's say, to business leaders. So what are some of the special considerations that rabbis face in leading their congregations and communities?
1: that's a wonderful question i think part of it is that religion has an awful lot to do with meaning making and this is the question that all of us have in life what is the reason for my life why am i alive why does god have me in this position in my life and so subsequently i think that a lot of leadership is asking oneself what is my meaning And how come I am in this role to help others? What do I have to be dedicated to? And of course, in religion, it's wonderful because you have the answer right there. My obligation is to be to God. What does God want from me? That then takes us to any leader. I guess the question is, what does God want from me in this leadership role? A lot of investigation and and thinking, you know. What are the moral values that God would have me do in this world? And what are the moral values by which I have to live my life? That's an investigative journey that each one of us has to do.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty important because I think one of the things that's often absent in today's world is that deep sense of meaning or purpose or calling that a person might have. They're gifted from God to do many things. However, if they don't stop to acknowledge what it is that God is saying to them and where God is leading them, they might actually miss the deep well of inspiration and strength to do the work.
1: I want to also be careful to not everybody believes in God. Not everybody believes in God the, the same way. So mm-hmm. there are our, our listeners you're going to have who are going to turn us off if we go in that direction. But I can't encourage uh, enough for people to read uh, Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. It is a fabulous book. And I don't care if you're religious or not religious. It is one of the books that have been totally meaningful to me. Now, that question is, what is the purpose of my life? Why am I alive?
0: Yeah, I love that book, as a matter of fact. I've read that book as well. And I think uh, just for context, operating or living under the conditions of a concentration camp there were many people who did not survive that experience. And Viktor Frankl, being a psychiatrist, and he took a look at what does it really take to survive in the concentration camp? How did he come out on the other end? And a lot of it had to do with your own mindset and the way that you think about an experience and coming from a spiritual direction, it really gave him a lot more power. He recognized that no one could take away his own thoughts, if you will. He could make his own choices on a certain level, even if he couldn't control where his body was. He certainly could control what he chose to think about and how he chose to show up.
1: A lot of the meaning making came, how could, what can I do for others? Those who came to the camp and thought they could do it all by themselves and they didn't need anybody, did not, so to speak, make it. Those who formed friendships and worked with others and had another person that they were uh, caring for seemed to uh, make it uh, much longer. Obviously, not everybody made it, but the story in the book which touched me is the man who had an idea and a hope and a dream that the Allies were going to come. And when they didn't come on the date that he thought, he went downhill immediately afterwards. um,
0: Yeah, I really like what you're saying about really being others-centered and seeing how we can serve others around us. And so I wanted to sort of like pivot on that point to talk to you about something that you do. I know that one of your specialties is knowing how to sensitively conduct a funeral for someone who has committed suicide.
1: Somebody who died by suicide, and that's part of the compassion. Part of that compassion is who are the people in the congregation. You know what are the words I choose. And interestingly enough, I don't want to just talk about somebody who died by suicide, but I want to talk about everybody around. In other words, in a good leader. Is, has a sense of compassion about, a sense of the people I'm leading, there are going to be mistakes in their world. They're only human. How do I correct them with a sense of kindness and so that they feel they're working with me and are part of the team, and it's not them against me? So part of that leadership is to develop that sense that Everybody is important. Everybody plays a role. To me, it seems like, and I try to emulate this in my leadership in my congregation, all those people who are working with me are human beings with, with drives, compassions, and they want to be praised. And using words of kindness, helping people to be the best that they can be is essential.
0: Absolutely. And for a family who's going through a loss of this type and this magnitude, just as an example, briefly, what are some words of uh, encouragement or kindness that might make a difference in such cases?
1: People who are around the person have a lot of guilt saying, I could have done this, I should have done this. I, I think that family members get stuck in the last moment. What was the person thinking before they died? How could I have stopped it? And so they get caught in that moment and have trouble getting beyond the moment where somebody dies in natural cause. You don't have those kinds of feelings of blame. And it is for clergy, it is the toughest funeral that you can do because everybody is very, very sensitive and looking for some kind of hope. And, of course, that's part of the role of a clergy in that moment is to give hope. The fact is that (laughs) telling people that as painful as it is right now, there is hope that they will not hurt as much. Of course, one of the things about mourning is that you never get past, never get done mourning. You just learn how to put it in its proper box, proper position. Then the question is, what can I build out of the kind of memorials? How do I memorialize? And giving them some kind of hope and new vision and task.
0: So it sounds like it's really, as you said, people are struggling with guilt. And that's an aspect that may need to be addressed. And more importantly, it's helping them understand there's hope for the next day, hope for tomorrow. And that there are ways that they can remember their loved one and, you know, memorialize (laughs) the memory and the good times. And so that's that's really helpful. So thank you for saying that because I know many people are walking through that journey today.
1: What's the new meaning of my of my life without that person in my life?
0: Oh, I love that connection. Yeah, absolutely. In other words, no matter what our circumstances, we can find meaning in those current circumstances, no matter how challenging. And again, we think about Viktor Frankl, as you said, as an example or even a role model of that. And so whatever life brings, there's a meaning for us to mind from it is what I'm hearing as well.
1: That's true. Well, let me
0: shift all the way to the opposite extreme of where we're (laughs) operating right now because you have used humor to address some tough subjects or to be creative in your messaging. So tell us a little bit about how you've used humor and a little bit about the comedy act that you've been creating, Laughter with a
1: Rabbi. I've found in my life that I'm a situational comic, really. And as I'm teaching a class and something triggers off a memory of a joke that I have heard, I will put it in. So I I try to use it appropriately. And if you were to say to me, you know do something from your act right now. I couldn't because it's much more situational. It just so happened in my life that humor has played this great role. And I think that in a role of leadership, it's got to play a role as well. you got to be able to laugh at yourself. you got to be able Mm -hmm. to laugh at situations. You know, nothing is, so to speak, permanent. Things are always changing and you can change tomorrow. But part of the object is, How do I laugh my way through life? How do I find fun in life? And so it just boils down to, again, one of those situations where somebody called me and asked me to do something. Like in Cleveland, they asked me, they were doing a fundraiser and they came up with this idea of who's the funniest rabbi in town. And so they put a contest together. And but a lot, a lot of people showed up just to hear some laughter. And that's how I come to it it's yeah. much more a piece of philosophy that i live by you got to have fun
0: i guess what i'm hearing is that the laughter component is almost like that spoonful of sugar it's sometimes it makes the medicine of life go down and everything's better when you're able to laugh at yourself and circumstances. Usually, things are not as fatal as we sometimes might make up in our minds. So it's kind of like a great recipe for just moving forward and putting one foot after the next.
1: The carefulness we have to have is that we're laughing with other people, not at other people. you got to be able to laugh at yourself and what you do, but you got to laugh with other people. You don't
0: laugh at people. Right, exactly. Yes, absolutely. So, there's a collective aspect of it. So, now this might help us touch on the next subject, which is this. I know that in my audience, I have executive leaders. And frequently, for executive leaders, there is a lot of strain, for example, that can occur in their marriages. And so I know that you also help people to have good marriages. So what insights can you share with business leaders on how to stay married?
1: Probably the first bit would be what's going to get written on your tombstone. You know, Mm -hmm. nobody's tombstone says he spent a lot of hours at work. We see on tombstones that he was a great family man and that, you know, he was a good father. Those are the kinds of things we like to be remembered by. I once took, and I don't know if it's around anymore, a whole time management course. And part of that course was uh, they asked you to list what are the important things in your life? You know, what would you give your life for? So in that particular case, the answer somewhat is how am I going to be remembered? How. Important is my family. Where would I put them in in the list between business and work and family? Where should time be given? And life Mm -hmm. really is about balance. Too many of us get out of balance. I like to use the analogy, what's the difference between the use of wine and the abuse of wine? Where becomes the tipping point? so I would say equally as well in marriages, what becomes the tipping point where you go too far and you begin to ignore the very people who you hope will remember you kindly afterwards? Because one of the things you find out about retirement is that once you have retired, nobody seems to remember you. Where my phone used to ring constantly as a clergyman, Suddenly I retire and nobody calls me anymore. So who's going to remember me down the line? Family and friends and our wives, our marriages. You know, I guess the question is, how would you know you were successful in life more than just the business world in which we're in?
0: Well, I love something that you said, which is this. Live the way that you want to be remembered. You're also saying, Who really is going to care at the end of the day? It's going to be those people who are part of your family and your personal life. So giving attention there is important and it's really critical. And as you said, the phone may not even ring that much anymore after you officially retire. So let me ask you about retirement because, yes, I know your other book is about retirement. What is retirement for the man of God? Do you really retire? Or does the calling take another form in your later years?
1: Well, every stage of your life takes an, another form. As you age, when you retire from one job, the question is, what's my next job and what's my next journey? So mm-hmm. retirement is a journey for which part of it is built upon what are some of the interests and hobbies you had along the way. And how do you build upon those? And then second is, you know, when opportunity knocks, you've got to open the door. The other vision is one door is going to close and a window opens. What are your interests? What do you want to build for yourself? And then what opportunities come and knock at your door? Just like you mentioned this comedy act, I had never thought of literally going out to other retirement homes and doing this comedy act. I had eight minutes worth of comedy into a a 40-minute show. So it's been an interesting venture. We'll see if if I get booed off the stage.
0: (laughs) Well, hopefully not. Well, it sounds like what you're also saying in retirement is – you're looking for open doors, you're looking for open windows, you're seeing what gifts and talents you have and where they can be repurposed. And you're also seeing maybe some gifts and talents that may have been sitting on the shelf that can be pulled out in the retirement years and used uh, really to, to great effect and joy, both for you and also those who would benefit around you is what I'm hearing.
1: Absolutely. Retirement is not just I'm going to travel or I'm going to read Because that's good for the first few months and can enjoy. But the question is, what's the meaning of my life again after that? How do I make my mark so that others remember me for good?
0: Absolutely. So on that note, so that others remember for good, as you know, my audience is primarily business leaders. So what additional advice or counsel do you want to leave with them today, the business leaders you've lived a long life so far. You've had many experiences. You've led this congregation for many years and so on. What would you like to say that we haven't covered yet?
1: Well, I would like to say that people need to get up and look at themselves in the mirror and ask, who are they? And am I the person that I want to be? There were incidents in my rabbinate where I had to stand up against the president and the board of trustees and literally put my job on the line because I thought it was the right and moral thing to do. I did manage to survive through 35 years at uh, my congregation with its ups and downs. And not everybody was in love with me. Fortunately, 51% were, so I retained my job. But there's gotta be moments when you say, what am I proud of? What have I done with my life? And what do I stand for? How do I be consistent? The most difficult thing in the world, which people don't realize it, is people can deal with almost anything except for chaos. So we got to make sure that as a leader, we're building a world that is not full of chaos. People know where they stand, what is expected of them, who they are. And we need to know the same thing. Who are we? How do we live a life, a moral life, and be proud of ourselves?
0: Okay, so there you have it. I'm going to say to the business leaders out there, know who you are, be willing to stand up for for what's important and what you believe in, even if it has consequences. So Rabbi Roberts, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today and offering this inspiration to the audience of the Voice of Leadership.
1: My great pleasure, Dr. Kern.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And to the rest of you out there listening, continue to listen. And if you know of another great guest who's leading powerfully in an area that's of interest and who we should interview, then let us know. And I'll see you next time on The Voice of Leadership. leadership resources.